Come on. Hey, we were the first city outside of uh, Auckland to take on Open Heaven. And uh, of course, of course. And can't wait to do it again. We've rented the biggest stadium we can find, uh, apart from the outdoor venue. That'll come later. But uh, we are filling it. uh, Almost paid for the the venue hire. And uh, we are so excited about uh, being a part of Open Heaven, praying for our nation. It's going to be amazing. Uh, Kia ora everybody, my name's Mike. Uh, Welcome to church this morning, so glad you are here. If you are visiting, I want to extend my welcome to Amy's as well. Uh, We begin a new series talking about the promises of God. Um, We don't know what to expect from 2021, right? Uh, I remember the catchphrase we had as part of our vision series, can you see it? 2020, it's like, can you see it? (laughs) Honestly, we had no idea what was coming, did we? It just, it was a completely different thought. We don't know what 2021 is going to look like. We don't know. I'm expecting, I've got great expectation for what God's going to do. But what I do know is that there are promises of God that will not change. There are promises that we can be certain of. Last week we talked about, I am certain that God will complete the work that he started within us. And I want to talk about some of the promises that we have in God. As a parent, uh, we can be guilty of making promises. Um, Any parents... Promises that you shouldn't make, promises you probably don't intend to keep, um, promises out of necessity because you want to calm that child that is about to lose it and you don't want to be embarrassed and so you just promise the world to them. But you know, I've also discovered that sometimes actually just joining in with the meltdown is is actually acceptable as well and entertaining for everybody else. I remember we were were traveling back, I can't remember what it was, but I think we were on our third flight and Rosie was maybe two, three years old at the time and she was done. I mean, we were done, but she was done. And in Auckland airport, right in the middle of the terminal, she just falls on the ground in tears and she just loses it completely, as, as is entitled you know, for a two-year-old. And so I had two options. I can do the drag with all the, you know, drag the child and all the equipment or just join her. I mean, yeah, it was. It was a long day. And so I just lay down on the floor beside her and gave her my best fake cry. Like, <laughs> Everyone's looking at me going, this guy's crazy, but I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> Rosie starts laughing. She starts giggling. It's like, hey, babe, should we, should we get on the plane? Should we go home? She goes, yeah, okay. And up we go. And fair enough. And so we, we got on the plane and that was fine. But, you know, sometimes actually... We've promised lollies, donuts. We've promised things that actually aren't good for our kids. We've promised them, hoping that they will just do what we ask them to do. And if they do that, we will do this. You know, and we promise things as, as, as earthly parents that are not necessarily good for the kids, right? What we do know is that we've got a heavenly father who makes promises. And the promises that are for our good. The promises that are good for us, they are promises that are good for all of humanity. And this series is based out of 2 Corinthians 1.20, which says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen. Amen simply means I agree. I find my agreement. I will put my agreement to that. We utter our amen to God for His glory. So today I want to look at a promise that will answer the cry, I believe, of every human heart. Does God really love me? Does God really love me? I think in the heart of every child, right through to every adult, 
We, we ask this question, does God really love me? Am I worth loving? Am I lovable? I believe that's a question that all of us would ask. And I know most guys, come on, we wouldn't want to admit that we need love. But in the heart of even every male, we want to know that somebody loves us. We want to know that we are loved. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite bands is DC Talk. Come on, how many people remember a bit of DC Talk? Hey, there you go. One of the songs I really loved growing up was We All Want to Be Loved. We all want to be loved. There's something in the hearts of every single one of us. We want to be loved by God. We want to be loved by others. So I want to encourage us with a promise. There's someone who loves us, a God whose love is unconditional and perfect, and there is nothing that will stop God's love for us. In a world that shifts and shakes and changes based on the season, we can be certain of this, that God's love is unshakable. The passage I want to share from today is in Romans eight thirty-five to 39. It says, who then can separate us from the love of Christ? For the first eight chapters, Paul's been kind of unpacking the bad news and the good news. You know, the bad news, which is sin, but the good news, which is Jesus. And talking about the process of the, the sinful nature and how we would respond as human beings that we, we don't want to sin, but we do anyway. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. Kind of a human dilemma, isn't it? But kind of chapter 8, there's a shift in the story and the narrative. Chapter 8 verse 1 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's like there's this, this promise right now. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. You don't have to feel and stay in condemnation. And it goes on in chapter 8, one of the greatest chapters of literature ever written. It goes on, who then can separate us from the love of Christ? Can trouble do it? Or hardship or persecution or hunger or poverty or danger or death? That kind of sums it all up, doesn't it? As the scripture says, for your sake, we are in danger of death at all times. We are treated like sheep that are going to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we have complete victory through him who loved us. For I am certain that nothing can separate us from his love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor other heavenly rulers or powers, neither the present nor the future, neither the world above nor the world below. There is nothing in all creation that will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is ours through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Would you pray with me this morning as we look at God's love for us? Heavenly Father, I pray that there would be an awareness of your love in this house today. For those that have been asking the question, God, do you exist? Do you love me? Do you care about me? God, I pray that would be answered. God, I pray for the person who has been in church for decades but has never truly understood your love and how much you love them. God, that we would receive that love. We would accept that love, that we would indeed choose to be loved by you. God, we honor you. Speak to us today, we pray. Amen. I want to share three promises around God's love today. The first promise is nothing will stop God from loving me. Nothing will stop God from loving me. Paul says, I am certain. Other versions say, I am convinced nothing in all creation will separate us from the love of God. 
meaning that there's nothing that can happen, nothing that I can do, nothing we can do to make God love us more or less. And in this passage, Paul kind of gives a summary of of every challenge a human being will face, right? Concerns that we would all have at some point in our life. And it's important to remember that, that Paul's statement comes with credibility because Paul, he's lived this out. Paul's life was one of trial and hardship, of persecution, of persecuting and being persecuted. He experienced all of the things he talked about, even to the point of almost death. So Paul, he understands it as he's speaking about this. He understands that God's love never wavered in his relationship. God, Paul talks about trouble, hardship, persecution, hunger, poverty, danger, or death, all things that he experienced. Jesus said in this world, you'll have trouble. You'll have trouble. If you're not in trouble now, you will be tomorrow. Trouble has a way of finding its way to us, right? We will experience trouble, but Jesus says, but take heart because I've overcome the world. You don't need to fear the trouble. You don't need to fear when trouble finds you because I am with you. I'm going to take care of you. You will be close to me. Paul says, for your sake, we are in danger of death at all times. Sounds exciting, right? We're treated like sheep that are going to be slaughtered just to clarify it a little bit better. (laughs) But friends, to live with the danger of death, to live a life that's proclaiming the good news and the fear of persecution, that is the greatest life we could ever live. If we were to lose our life in this world, we gain it in the next. See, we live so much for today and our reputation and what we we care about, what people think about us, that that we, we don't always live for God and for his purpose, and for his gospel, and his good news, if we could live our lives so that one person might know freedom in Jesus, then that is a life worth living. Paul concludes, there's nothing that can separate us. There's nothing that can stop God from loving us. Someone needs to hear this today. God's not mad at you. He's not mad at you. He's not coming up with creative ways and challenges to trick you into fooling and to failing. He's not. He loves you so dearly. And his love is so immense. There's nothing you can do that will separate you from that love. But love requires choice. A person forced to behave, to act, who lives in fear of consequences, will not experience love. At the heart of love is choice. God's choice first, our choice next. That's why God created the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Bible. In the Garden of Eden, he put two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. He said, this whole world is yours. You've got it all. I give you everything, but I've got to give you the opportunity to choose. He didn't put it under lock and key. It wasn't an impenetrable fortress. It was there available for people to choose. Because without the choice, we don't get to experience love. The 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about love. If you've been to a wedding, you might have heard this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not demand its own way. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. You know, Love, love, love is all about choices. Paul's talking about choices here, isn't he? 
Love saying you can choose to be kind. Love chooses to be kind. Love chooses to be patient. Or we choose to be unkind, to be impatient. Love doesn't keep a record of wrong, but selfishness does. You're wrong, and I will keep it on the record until the day I die. Love says, I will forgive because I've been forgiven. I'll let go because God has taken my sin and he's thrown it into a sea of forgetfulness. And he says, don't go fishing there. Don't go pulling that back up because I've forgiven you. That's what love is. Husbands with our wives, come on, love can be in a choice every moment. With the words we speak, are they words of kindness? Are they frustrated? Are they angry? Love is a daily choice we get to make. Parents with our children, come on, colleagues, that person at work that just continues to grate you, that person that continues to challenge your Christianity, grace and mercy, come on, love is a choice that says, I will forgive, I will be patient, I will be kind. And this is what makes love so rewarding because our love choices can have such an impact on others. When we choose to love and when someone chooses to love us, there is no greater feeling. And that's the same with God. There is no greater feeling than knowing that God loves me. Someone needs to know today that God loves you. There's nothing you can do that will separate you from God's love. The second promise we have today is we can love because God loved us first. Because love is not something we initiate. It's not something that's within us. It's not something we're capable of doing. Love starts in God. We love him because he loved us first. Sometimes we think, yes, it's my choice and and, and I'll choose him. But actually, he's chosen us first. The love starts with him. It's in our nature to desire it. We desire love, but it's not in us to find it. 1 John 4.19 says, we love him because he first loved us. Our desire to want a relationship with God starts with him. As there is no light on this planet that doesn't first get its light from the sun, there's no love in a human heart that doesn't first come from our loving Heavenly Father. So when the good news finds us, when the gospel finds us, we're not loving God. We're selfish. We're in this, this, this self-preservation. I've just got to do everything I can to survive, and I'll keep people distance from me because love would mean I would have to expose myself to somebody else. So love doesn't, the gospel doesn't find us loving God. But through the Holy Spirit, God is three-part, Father, Son, and Spirit. God's Holy Spirit is moving. He is moving here today. Moving in our hearts, he's making us aware of God's love for us. We didn't deserve God's love. Anyone deserve God's love? Anyone good this Christmas? Deserved a good present or a gift? No, none of us. None of us. Was I good? Was I bad? Or is it tick the box? I tried. That's about as good as I got. But God, regardless of how good or bad we are, chose to give us love. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, 
Come on, when we were at our worst, I want you to think about that worst moment in your life. At that point, God said, I'm still going to send my son Jesus, even for Mike. Even because he did that. Even because of it, it doesn't matter. My plan doesn't change. I've still got a plan for humanity. And it's salvation through my son Jesus. So what's the big deal about sin? Sin destroys everything. Simply put, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin are death. Meaning, I get paid. woo In death. So I sin, my payment is death. You go, well, hold on, I'm a pretty good person. Paul, Paul covers that too. Just in case you're wondering, he says in Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous. Not even one. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. God loved us so much. We'll come to that good news in just a moment. The reality is if we could live our lives according to God's ways, His commandments, our love would be complete. Our relationships would be perfect. But with the choice to obey also comes the choice to disobey. Later in the fifth chapter of Romans, Paul talks about how sin enters the human race through Adam's disobedience. Adam and Eve chose to disobey God rather than trusting Him. The consequence of their disobedience led to the entry of sin into all of humanity. We were born into sin. Come on, as a child, the moment you can draw a breath, it's like, give me something. Give me food. Change me. Clean me. It's me, 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 me. Isn't it? That's human nature. We, we, we immediately put the demand on humanity as the moment we come out because we need to be cared for. But Romans 6, 16, don't you realize that you became the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. There's a choice right there, isn't there? Verse 18 to 19, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Come on, let's not fool ourselves. We are not capable of good on our own. Our ability to love originates first in God. We love Him because He first loved us. At this point, many will shake their fist at God. Say, what kind of a God would condemn His children? Remember, without choice, we can't experience love. God didn't trick Adam and Eve into sinning. His instructions were so clear. Come on, parents. We're pretty good with our instructions most of the time, right? Don't touch the cookies. Don't eat that before dinner. It doesn't stop kids from doing it. Come on, I was a kid. It's like, mum says, I made these beautiful biscuits with icing and pebbles on top. Don't touch them until your birthday. I'm like, I've got to touch it. <laughs> then we got the line up. Come on, parents. You've done the lineup with your kids? All right. Who took the lollies off the biscuits? <laughs> now, we only had three kids at that stage, and oldest one, Sam, goes, I don't know. Youngest one's Rachel. She, she was a good one. She said, it wasn't me. And I'm going. <laughs> and mum didn't even say it was you, Mike. She let me squirm. <laughs> she knew. Of course she knows. She's mum. 
And then I, you know, it's like, finally came around to it. Mom, I'm sorry it was me. She goes, I know. See, we're all incapable. Well, we're capable of following instructions, but there's something in us, that longing to do the wrong thing. <laughs> that one really hit home. <laughs> But here we do, we, we, we shake our fists at God and we say, God, it must be your fault. But no, God is a good God. He gives us choice. He says, go this way and you will live a life, a righteous life. But we also have an enemy. And it wasn't God that tricked Adam and Eve into disobeying and eating the fruit. It was a serpent that deceived Adam and Eve and The Bible says Eve was convinced. Eve was convinced by the serpent. Hey, this is good. You you, you have knowledge just like God has. It's desirable, desirable to eat, and it's what we could gain from it. The devil is a liar. He's a good liar. In fact, the Bible says when the devil lies, it is consistent with his character. He is the father of lies. He's a lying snake. So my question is, who do we want to believe? A loving God or a lying snake? And yet we do so well at believing the lying snake that we're not good enough, that we have to do more to gain God's favor and attention. But God loves us. Nothing will separate us from his love. Nothing. That we can love him because he's first loved us. And the third promise as the team come today. God promises eternal life if we believe in Jesus. This is a promise from God's love. God promises eternal life if we believe in Jesus. You might have heard this verse before, John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Can we personalize it today? For God so loved Michael James DeVetta. There you go, you got my middle name now. I only ever hear that full name when I'm in trouble. For God so loved Michael James DeVetta that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God showed his love by giving us the one thing that mattered most to him. His one, his only, his best. I'm a father. I'm blessed to be a father. I don't take it for granted. I know there are many here that would desire children of their own for whatever reason. They haven't been able to have children. I count being a father a real privilege. And you know what? There is nothing I wouldn't do for my kids. I would, I would run in front of a bus to save them. And that's just the, the love of an earthly father flawed and perfect how much more does God our heavenly father love his children he showed all of humanity his love by giving the only thing that would stop this thing called sin his own son who was perfect Jesus had to be the perfect sacrifice Sin entered through one man and it could only be forgiven through another, through Jesus. And Jesus, he chose. The Father, he chose. 
I'll, I'll give my son, I'll give my best. Jesus says, Dad, I'll go. Father, I'll go. The choice. And we're faced with a choice today. God already loves you. That's not in question. (laughs) But our choice is would we believe in Him? Would we believe in His Son, Jesus? Would we believe that Jesus died on the cross so that our sin wouldn't separate us from relationship with Him, but would find us united with Him? Maybe you've never surrendered your life to God. Today, I want to give you that invitation. I'm going to pray a prayer in just a minute, inviting God to come into our lives through His Son, Jesus Christ, that His Spirit would come into our lives and enter us to be a part of who we are, that we would surrender our heart and our lives to Him, ask for His forgiveness for the sin that, that, that leads to death, the promises if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a promise of God today. doesn't matter where you're at. You're saying, I don't have all the answers. Join the club. I I don't have them all. But every day I live, I, I get another reminder that God loves me. And that His love will continually pursue me. Even when I run away. Even when I fall short. He says, I still love you, Mike. I still love you. The Bible tells the story of a loving God that pursued the people of Israel. He says, Israel, you're going to be my people. You're my chosen people. And they say, that's great, but we think we'll do it our way. And off they went and they lived their, their lives and God pursued them. Gave them invitation and opportunity to come back and they come back and they confess and they repent and they come back and then they go, hold on, the world looks better. And off they went again. The story of Israel is my story, is your story. It's the prodigal son that has everything he needs right there in his father's house but thinks the world will offer more. So we go in pursuit of happiness, of desire, of wealth and fortune, the girls, the gold, the glory. We go and try and get all of that. Because we think God's holding out on us. He's not. Everything that we need is in the Father's house. And my invitation to you is just attached to His invitation that says, the Spirit and the Bride, right at the end of the Bible says, come. The Spirit and Bride say, come. Come and be a part of God's family. With every head bowed, every eye closed, would you pray this prayer? Maybe you've been away from God and God is drawing you home. Maybe for the very first time you're saying, God, I I want to receive your love. I don't have all the answers, but I am believing that Jesus, you did that for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for me. Thank you that you gave your best, your only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sin. Please forgive me. I turn from my old way of living. I choose to surrender my life to you and receive your love today. In Jesus' name. If you pray that prayer for the first time, or maybe returning back to God, you pray that prayer with all of your heart and you meant that. Love you, do one last thing. 
On the count of three, would you raise your hand and say, I prayed that prayer. One of our team at the back are just going to spot your hand and come and have a conversation with you afterwards. Help you take your next step with him. One, God's love is so amazing. Two, nothing will separate you from it. Three, would you put your hand up now and say, yeah, I prayed that prayer. For the first time, we're returning back to God, starting 2021 in relationship with God. Anyone here this morning? Father, I thank you for hearts that are turning to you. Thank you, God, that your love is perfect, that we can trust you. Lord, for those that are on that point of decision, God, may they know and experience your love today. In Jesus' name. But before I bring it to a close, I want to make it personal for those that love Jesus and living for him because when we live our lives for him and and acknowledge who he is it makes a difference in the way that we are out there in our community I had the privilege of taking a wedding of a young couple Um, their parents weren't living for Jesus when they were young They made what they would say are mistakes and they were living for themselves. But through God's grace and mercy, they found home. They found God. They've raised the most amazing children who are now living for Him. And in the hustle and bustle of the wedding day and all the planning and, you know, the stress that can kind of fill a day like that, there was somebody who was watching, the photographer, And numerous times through the day, she found herself in tears, talking with various members of the family as she watched father and bride interact and mum and groom. The conversation was, what is it about you? What is it about this family that there's something within you that, that just, I don't know. See, the Bible says people will know that we're his disciples by the way we love one another. We want to, let people know that we're his disciples. We, we just got to keep loving each other, keep forgiving each other, keep serving each other because it makes a difference. Our love, that God loves us first, but when that love, we receive it and then it, we transmit it, it makes a difference. I'm believing this year we're going to see many people come to know Christ. Many people are going to find freedom and they're going to find home. And I've set an alarm on my phone, and I'd encourage you to do the same. Join me, would you? For 1.11 p.m., just in case you're wondering. You can do a.m. if you like, if you need two days, two times in a day. I want you to pray for one minute. I've got three or four people that I'm believing will have an encounter with God's love this year. 1.11 p.m., 1.11. It's an emergency because without God, they will spend an eternity without Him. Chuck it in your phone. Pray with me. Let's pray together for those that need the love of Christ. Amen. God bless you.